Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. We are now in overtime. We've got some good stuff. We're going to be watching Mick Lynch, General Secretary of RMT in the UK, responding to some bad faith attacks in the UK media. Talking about that, giving some Labor Notes reflections, bringing on Josh Moon to talk about Alabama politics. Really cool stuff. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, I, yeah, I pulled some awesome clips, or I, I pulled an awesome clip uh, from the rail strike in the UK. That and that clip pulled a bunch of other clips. Um, oh, but first, I had there, there was a couple things in the chat that I wanted to address. Um, there's a there's a there's this guy, and I'm not sure if he's being like sarcastic or not but being weird in the chat uh and always welcome to call in always welcome to call in um and uh the means morning news is the outlet that we recommended in the jerome powell segment means morning news you can subscribe at means.tv yeah, highly recommended. Uh, Means TV is essentially a co-op media outlet, and and yes. think of it as like uh, the lefty version of Netflix or Hulu. Uh, mm-hmm. They, you know, so it's a platform that hosts content. Means Morning News is their kind of flagship. Yeah, thing. and it's not necessarily every day. I believe three to four days a week, and yeah. it's a fifteen to twenty minute news show. And I am a religious watcher or actually listener most of the time it's available on podcasting apps uh and it is one of the the best little like summaries uh mm-hmm. of what's happening uh, primarily in the united states but there's international coverage as well so highly recommend that uh we've definitely taken inspiration from means morning news in terms of our graphics and just yeah you know some of the some of the things that they do uh we've tried to learn from them as well so highly recommend that and means tv needs more subscribers i think the more people that support the project uh the more content they'll be able to host on the platform Mm -hmm. you know beyond just uh which they have some good stuff already there in terms of documentaries and other original programming so yeah that's my mean that's that's my means tv plug um, yeah, so I uh, I got an awesome clip that compiled a bunch of other clips from the rail strike in the UK. But first, I wanted to give y'all some background. Rail workers in the UK have not had a raise in three years, not since before the pandemic. They accepted pay freezes like so many other workers during the worst parts of the crisis. And in addition to that, now the employers are wanting to attack their pension system Uh They're wanting to dilute benefits. They're wanting to make staff work longer hours, make them poorer in retirement, while paying increased contributions to shareholders. They want to cut thousands of jobs across the rail network. They want to cut safety inspections on the infrastructure by 50% in half. They want to attack terms and conditions and working practices in a form of internal fire and rehire, including lowering existing salaries and increasing the work week. They want to make massive cuts to catering services. They want to close every ticket office in Britain, regardless of the accessibility needs of the diversity of passengers. They want to cut real pay for most of their members through lengthy pay freezes and well below inflation pay proposals. Crazy, crazy stuff. 
Absolute Looney Tunes. And all of this while, let's see if this sounds familiar to working folks in the U.S., these rail companies make huge profits. (laughs) From Open Democracy, the U.K.'s largest train operator, First Group, boasted to investors that profits for this year were, quote, ahead of expectation, unquote, and pledged to resume dividend payouts. The company handed its shareholders... 500 million pounds in December 2021, just months after being awarded government contracts for running the Southwestern Railway and Trans Pennine Express. Pounds are, I'm not sure the conversion rate, but it's something similar to a dollar. It's like either, either it is worth one either a pound is worth one point two dollars or a pound is worth like two thirds of a dollar something like that. But it's you know it's a pretty you know it's a comparable. typically it's it's worth more a little bit more than the dollar. Okay, uh, but I don't know how Brexit has impacted that. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been a few years since I was over there and did my little currency exchanges. So therefore, rail workers went on strike last week. They went on strike for three days, on Tuesday, on Thursday, and on Saturday last week. They'll be deciding on uh, whether more strikes are necessary this week. And despite the obvious righteousness of their fight, the Labor Party, <laughs> the Labor Party issue, uh, leadership issued a memo to their members to not participate in picket line actions. Because why would a Labor Party do something on behalf of labor? Crazy. I guess they just compete with the Democrats to see who can uh, be more frustrating and more disappointing. That's wild. Absolutely wild. Fortunately, many many members of parliament, they have denied that, and they have actually openly supported the striking workers. But it is a bizarre thing for the leadership of the party to put out. And in addition to the outright hostility from the conservative government, ambivalence from the Labour Party, they are being attacked in the press. And honestly, seeing some of the coverage uh, of the strike has almost made me thankful for media here and the Democrats here. Almost. Almost. I'd hate to think that we had to deal with a left party, quote unquote, as antagonistic to us as the Labour Party or a media as wholly antagonistic as the UK media. It's abs- it is really, really just bizarre stuff that's coming out of here. But... There's a silver lining because that terrible media coverage has resulted in some awesome clips from the general secretary of the union, Mick Lynch, which is a really big reason I wanted to talk about the strike. Adam, let's go ahead and play those clips. People who are doing full time jobs, who are having to take state benefits and use food banks. That is a national disgrace. What will they do if agency workers try to cross those picket lines? Well, we will picket them. What do you think we'll do? We run a picket line and we'll ask them not to go to work. Direct lie. If you are a Marxist, then you're into revolution and into bringing down capitalism. So are you or aren't you? Richard, you do come up with the most remarkable twaddle sometimes. That's the unions lie. don't tell me who I am and whether or not I'm working class or whatever, any of those sorts of things. I didn't tell you you weren't working class. I don't, I don't even know your name. That's Onto a lie. The street. You can see what picketing involves. I can't believe this line of questioning. Picketing is standing outside the workplace to try and encourage people who want to go to work not to go to work. 
What else do you think it involved? You've also lied that we left negotiations on Saturday and went to a rally. There were no negotiations scheduled for Saturday. You are a liar. The pensions of our members are going to be decimated. They're going to make us poorer not only while we're at work, but poorer in retirement. And that's an agenda that the government has got because they want to subsidise the private sector in this country, as they are doing in the health service, which is being consumed by the private sector, as they've done in the education service, which is being consumed by the private sector. He should be apologising to the doctors and nurses who can't get to hospital, the patients who can't get their operation, the kids who miss out on their education today, but also those armed forces veterans who risk their lives for our freedoms who won't be able to celebrate Armed Forces Day on Saturday. Do you want to apologise for all that, Mick? Well, I think Jonathan should apologise for talking nonsense. None of that is true. And you're a liar. What the rest of the country suffers from is the lack of power, the lack of the ability to organise and the lack of the wherewithal to take on these employers that are continually driving down wages and making the working class in this country poorer year on year on year while the rich get richer. Now, I welcome anyone that wants to join us on our picket lines and show us messages of support. All right, well, you're if more... Keir Starmer can't do that, that's a, a, th- a problem for him, not for us. I don't want people to be Good to know uh, inconvenienced, be and I want a settlement to this dispute. I can't do that with a backbench MP who's just learnt it off a script. And one of the reasons we're not affiliated is because Labour politicians since Blair have not identified with working-class people. And failing to do that is one of the problems they've got in working-class communities, and they've left the door open to populists and others to come into the situation. The Labour Party is about supporting working people, or it should be, not triangulating uh, from uh, opinion makers such as the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and the Times. So they've got to sort out their identity and they've got to come up with a set of policies. There are lower paid people and there are wealthy people in this society. And what's wrong in this society is that there is an imbalance between the people that do the work to keep this country going, who create the wealth of our civilization and don't get a fair share of that wealth because it's going to people who are vastly wealthy. Labour should be comfortable with backing working class people who are struggling. And one of the ways that they can redress the imbalance is through industrial action where negotiations fail. What else are we to do? Are we to plead? Are we to beg? We want to bargain for our futures. We want to negotiate. And if we're not bargaining, you have to beg. And I don't want any working class people in this country to have to beg the employers for a decent living. And Keir Starmer shouldn't want that either. Way to go, Mr. Lynch. That's awesome. Uh, I, I don't know anything about him other than these things. Please do not tell me any problematic things that may or may not be out there about him. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But it is it is fantastic <laughs> to see union leadership actually taking it to the media and and mm-hmm. and calling out these bad faith attacks as bad faith attacks right. because this is this is what they do um, and while the UK media is a special type of bizarre um, you know the corporate media here in the states is very much the same that's how you end up mm-hmm. I mean even supposedly progressive independent media people like Ryan Grimm writing uh, right. you know many thousands words article without interviewing a single worker uh, right. it's it's a true blind spot in some cases it's a blind spot and in some cases it's intentionally uh, mm. there to to fight back against working class people right yeah I I I just have to wonder if there are any 
any leaders in the labor movement that are as rhetorically gifted as Mick Lynch is, uh, because I don't think that they've had they've really had the spotlight on them like Mick Lynch has, and so they haven't really had the opportunity. I mean, even Sarah Nelson, probably one of the best orators in the labor movement right now. I have no idea how she would do, you know, under such constant attack. You know, um, Fred Redman. Secretary Treasurer of the AFL, I don't know how he would do. I mean, uh, Cecil Roberts is another really good orator, but I don't know how he would do. It, you know, they're just these. The, I mean, so I guess, I, I guess it's kind of pick your poison because in the in the U.S. the media just just ignores you for the most part, um, and and then if they are not ignoring you, they they'll allow you the time to kind of say your piece, and and they're not gonna generally speaking go crazy hard on you but in the uk you're in it, i mean it looks like you're in the, in the news all the time but they're just attacking you the whole time that you're on so i don't well, know you know i think that if we have a strike as substantial and as like uh economy rocking as a railway strike i suspect our media would look a lot like those british tabloids we know that Fox and Wall Street Journal and those types would be, mm-hmm. but I suspect we'd see a lot of the same from you know CNN and MSNBC and those types as well. Right. Yeah, uh, because I mean, even none of the strikes are nearly as disruptive. Yeah, I, I you have to wonder how a strike that is even half as disruptive as as the rail strike would go over in the United States, because um, you can you can definitely imagine. CNN, MSNBC, and certainly Fox News shifting from either ignoring or being ambivalent to an outright aggressive thing. Because that's the argument. I mean, look at look at how they treated teachers who were organizing during the pandemic and how public right. school workers were demonized. And we saw that from a lot of, uh, you know, supposedly liberal op-ed writers, um, you know, places like The Atlantic that were really – leading the charge against educators who dared to organize for safe working conditions and safe learning conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think if there was any uh, threat to capital, if there's any threat to the bosses uh, and un- endless profits, I think if they saw that in any substantial way, we would see where their loyalty is. Right. Ultimately, they're selling advertisements, and they're trying not to rock the boat. Uh, they're trying to provide... Uh, dividends to their shareholders and if they can instill some uh, right-wing ideology into the masses all the better for it in their eyes oh yeah absolutely um it's uh yeah because because what what is density in the uk union density i'm not sure do you do you know offhand i mean it's probably like 60 something percent Right, UK union density. It's a lot higher than it is here. Oh wow, it's actually not twenty three point one percent. Huh. So it's better, but not by a huge margin. Yeah, uh, and just double. Whereas a lot of Europe is like in the sixty, seventy, eighty percent. But and I'm not as familiar with uh, British labor history as I am American, mm-hmm. but. You know, they much like we had the Patco strike of air traffic controllers crushed by Reagan uh, back in what eighty one. You know, 
Thatcher went after the coal miners. Right. And that's something that they, they also brought up. You know, that this is one of the, th- the, 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 the big thing has been, oh, don't you care about, I mean, you heard it, don't you care about armed services veterans or whatever, you know, like, um, and, and it's been your, inconveniencing consumers mm-hmm. and um, implications of violence and stuff. You know, they never come out and say, like, are you going to be violent? Um, because they're not going to be. Um, but th- there's definitely that implication. And there's been there was one interview where somebody was like, are you do you wish the 80s were here? Are you going to replicate the miners strike or whatever? And it's just like crazy, crazy. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that. <laughs> I think corporate media does play a really substantial role in people's worldviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I struggle with that because sometimes I, well, a lot of times I try to tune out of it. I try to stay off social media. I intentionally try to avoid, you know, CNN and Fox and those kinds of outlets because it's brain poison. Yeah. Uh, it's It just makes you feel bad while confusing you and uh, misinforming <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. But the truth is it, it does really shape people's worldviews. And you, you can see that with some of the politics that people have. Um, you know, we were mentioning off-air, or I was telling you off-air, and I, I'm not going to belabor this point, but, you know, I saw people last night who were outraged over the Roe v. Wade decision Mm. who said this was the fault of Bernie and the Bernie bros. Right. You know, uh, in 2022, you still are are saying that. And, you know, could you walk me through that? (laughs) Um, And I'm just curious, you know, how, how powerful this media consumption can be to shape people's views of the reality that they're living in because i can't put myself in that headspace to be able to say well sure i'm going to look around at the state of this country in 2022 and blame bernie sanders of all people it's bizarre to me but yeah there are people who are legitimately doing that who legitimately believe that um and not just trolling yeah. And that's concerning. Well, we've got Democrats in the House, in the Senate, and the presidency. Right. Right. And so uh, I think it's it's just a really it's just a really difficult thing to grapple with. How do we respond to corporate media's influence on people? How do we um, how do we break through corporate media? Can we use it to our advantage at times? Um and ultimately, how do we, like, deprogram people? Right. And that's what I, I encountered, you know, like in the 2020 uh, Democratic primary. There were folks that I had many conversations with who were, you know, older folks who had been religiously watching MSNBC and CNN for, at this point now, decades. Mm-hmm. You know, religiously reading their mainstream newspapers now for decades. And it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to deprogram the amount of ideology and propaganda that has been just forced down their throats. Uh, and the Bernie campaign was a, a way to illustrate that, but I think pretty much any foreign policy discussion, right? anytime you know other countries come up, um, whether it be China or Russia or Venezuela or, or God forbid, Cuba, you, you know, you see the extent to which people 
people have opinions that are not based on their the real world. They're based on what they've been watching on TV or listening to on the radio. So I think you know. I think there's. That's why I think I do this show. I think there's right. value in providing alternative voices uh, that is centered around the working class and working class people. Um, but it's yeah. It's 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 difficult to underestimate the extent to which corporate media has a role to play in people's lives in the way people respond to politics but even even despite that though the rmt put out a press release about a recent poll that showed the public even despite all the attacks from politicians and the media of the uk public supporting them from the poll only 17 percent of UK citizens support cuts to staff on trains and stations, and only 16% support the cutting of safety critical uh, safety critical workers from inspecting and maintaining the rail tracks. Opposition to both of these measures is high at 63% and 70, 70% respectively. 70% of the public believe that rail workers should have a negotiated pay raise that takes into account the cost of living, while just 11% disagree. 59% believe rail workers have the right to strike if negotiations fail, and only 18% are against it. 62% believe that the government should intervene to ensure rail companies meet the rail workers' concerns. Only 14% are against this. 84% of the public believe the profits from the rail industry should be invested in protecting jobs and services, as opposed to 16% who believe they should go towards shareholder dividends. So that's some a pretty powerful repudiation of the... Of the British press. Right. And, and of the British political class. Absolutely. And I think that kind of tracks with what we see over here in this country, where unions have never been more popular as they are today, at least reflected in public opinion polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we looked at specific struggles, like take the teachers, for example, even despite the media narratives and despite the you know onslaught of media demon- demonization, Parents and students and the public at large generally supported the teachers as they organized during the pandemic. So it's worth remembering, especially as we, you know, are digesting so much bad news, that the majority, we are the majority. Right. We are the majority. Working class people are the vast majority of this country and Great Britain and the rest of this planet. We have a majority of people on our side. And, you know, the people who want to take away our rights, the people who want us to live in poverty, they are a minority. Unfortunately, they are a very loud and powerful minority. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit on this show about the militant minority in the context of labor organizing and the labor movement and how, a you know, a small but dedicated group that is a statistic minority can wield a lot of influence both in pushing their union to be more militant but also in actually winning victories on the shop floor and we're not the only ones who realize that you know the right wing the far right certainly realizes that they know they have a minority but it's a militant minority and you know, a faction of the ruling class, a faction of oligarchs, 
are ex- right-wing extremists, and they have cultivated a mass base around bigotry that they can wield very effectively. Yeah. Yep. Have we got Josh in the Zoom? Uh, no, not yet. Josh is not in yet. Gotcha. All righty. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about labor notes while we wait for Josh to get on the line? Hmm. Well, we yeah, I don't want to get right yeah, in. No, I, you know, I don't I want to get in the middle of it if, if Josh is on his way. Um, just, you know, one thing that I, I'll, I'll say on this um, in terms of Josh Moon coming on, there is a lack of media in Alabama, period. Like, not just good or bad. Right, right. Um, There is a lack of media, period. There's a lack of investigative journalism in this state. Um, so one thing I'm curious to hear from him is, is what's it like to be an investigative journalist in Alabama in a state that is so reactionary and that, you know, ranks at or near the bottom of virtually every quality of life metric and in a state where transparency is, you know, few and far between. And, and I think you you look at the decline of local news and local newspapers in the way that's been consolidated by venture capitalist funds and you know there's a there's a lot there where people people don't have as many people have new options via the internet but traditional media has consolidated into just a handful of monopolies that are all corporate through and through uh josh is coming into the room so hopefully we'll have josh here in just a sec all right good deal all right yeah josh is josh is on the line what's going on guys all right josh welcome to the program appreciate your time yeah absolutely Thanks absolutely for man yeah, no yeah, problem. So, Thank y'all for having me. Absolutely. Josh Moon is a liberal uh, opinion columnist. He's an investigative reporter at the Alabama Political Reporter. He's been doing this in Alabama for a long time. So, uh, so yeah, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, and, and I'm kind of like an Alabama liberal, I guess, <laughs> you yeah. know, which is to say I would probably be a Republican in a, you know, in a northern state. But, oh, man. Yeah. Come on now. Come on. You know, <laughs> you know well, actually, I, that's probably that's, fair. That's I mean, probably fair. That's, maybe. That's not great, yeah. but. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, man. <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, but, you know, honestly, I probably would be like put into a category, you know, I'd, I drive a truck, you know, I like NASCAR and fishing, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, uh, well, that's something, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, that's something we can definitely relate to as lifelong Southerners who also happen to be leftist. Uh, we end yeah. up in a, in a lot of spaces where they're not used to folks like us. Yeah. I mean, we're, right. you know, in many ways, stereotypical Southern white boys. Uh, yeah. We just so happen to have very left wing politics and yeah. <laughs> be militant unionists. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a yeah, it's weird, man. I you know I don't know. It's it's because it's very odd for me to be in in this kind of company, you know, because I'm usually not. And so, uh, do y'all get also uh, sucked into the conversations where people just assume uh, that you are a right wing, a little bit racist uh, person? Uh, you know, I tell you, sure. I, I, I tell things, you, I yeah. was 
Yeah, definitely. I and yeah. the the worst thing that happened to me most recently was I was at a and I won't say the the trade union just to just to provide some amount of cover, but um, <laughs> I was at a trade union hall talking to him about how we've got a radio program on a black talk station in in his area um, in mm-hmm. Muscle Shoals and on the conservative station in Huntsville. And uh, and and so the st- and, and we've got some some unions that sponsor the show. We got several unions sponsor the show, and uh, you know I, I told them that uh, you know obvious uh, we we would appreciate the support, but if there's anything that you know any uh, events that they have going on or anything that they want to highlight, we'd love to talk to them about it, whether or not they sponsor the show. And this guy was like, I don't really know that we want to. We want to advertise to that audience. Um, you know, I, I find that they're not a very good cultural fit. And I'm like, Ooh, holy wow. shit. Holy yeah. shit, man. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, yeah, there was, you know, we have, uh, my wife will uh, teach swimming lessons uh, to, to young kids. Um, and so, you know, you run into to a lot of folks that way. And she typically just does it with friends and things like that, but, and acquaintances. Uh, but we've, you know, she started to get more and more people, uh, you know, as this area has grown, because we live in Madison as well. And right, I mean, right. there are just a ton of people out there looking for, you know, any kind of service, basically. Uh, mm. But, uh, yeah, and there was a lady the other day that said some things about uh, the school system and how it's kind of being overrun by the wrong people, if you know what I mean. Right. And she was like, do you not, I mean, have you not even looked at us on Facebook? Right, no, I right. Mean, have you not seen what my husband does and what he says? I mean, yeah, well, this, like, look at, look, look at, for just one, look at how long my hair is. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on, read the room a little bit, guy. Yeah, right, yeah. So, uh, I know, <laughs> so you've been, you've been doing the journalism thing in Alabama for, for a while. How long have you been, how long have you been writing in Alabama? I started at the Montgomery Advertiser. While I was still in college uh, at Auburn, Auburn Montgomery, uh, when I want to say it was 1999 uh, was the first time I went over there uh, and started taking high school football scores on Friday nights uh, for them, getting paid 35 bucks a night to sit in the office and, uh, you know, and take down some scores and things. And and it just kind of went from there. My first real gig with them uh, was covering Alabama State University, uh, historically black college in Montgomery, uh, that uh, their athletic programs, I started covering them in 2001. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of went from there. Man, I got tossed into the fire there. That was uh, They had a they had a big uh, scandal going. And that's kind of basically how I got started in, in doing uh, investigative reporting stuff was I was tossed into this situation where I had to – you know, be basically an investigative reporter, even though I didn't really realize that's what I was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And I realized I really liked it. Uh, and then kind of got into writing columns and, um, and then at a point, you know, you, you, you realize there are things that are taking place outside of sports that, um, you know, affect a lot of the people that you're covering in sports. Cause I covered, you know, a lot of very, very poor black athletes uh, in this state and around the Southeast for a long time. And you hear their stories. And, and uh, I'll tell you one thing that really got me was Katrina um, and, and how it affected a lot of the guys that I covered. Uh, I talked to some kids who, uh, you know, their families were just devastated in New Orleans. Uh, you know, they were living in okay in a college dorm while their families and in, in the 
was the fifth lower fifth ward, I believe, uh, was mm. the place that was most devastating. And I had two guys that, that lived there. One of the guys that I covered and talked to pretty extensively, they, he, he had three or four family members killed, mm. uh, you know, and, and were just gone for, I mean, they were just gone, you know, and there was nothing to be done. And, you know, and you, you see that sort of poverty and, and things and, uh, you know, it just, you know, so anyways, just kind of started writing, writing different stuff. And somebody, uh, uh, there was a guy that was running a, uh, our paper, Sam Martin, who uh, worked at the Birmingham Times for a period uh, here recently, but he was our publisher at the time. And uh, he and Wanda Lloyd uh, said, hey, you know what? Let's let this kid write a write a column. And um, and people hated it and they loved it because everybody was talking about it. And so, you know, it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Well, the, did you w- was it kind of always a uh, like I want to go into journalism or did you just happen to kind of fall into the role writing for the, you know, writing about the sports and then mm-hmm. then it it, it just kind of kept going or, or, or was that something you were always interested in? Well, I don't, that was obviously the intent in college, uh, but it was into college before I realized that's kind of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. All I knew for sure was I was not very good at manual labor um, and that math could not be involved. So, uh, you know, once (laughs) you eliminate those things, you kind of pare down what you're, what you can do. And, and honestly, uh, the thing that, uh, that got me, uh, kind of interested in journalism and, and especially what I do uh, was uh, Tony Kornheiser. Um, you know, he's a, a columnist out of DC, worked, worked for the Washington Post, runs a very popular podcast now, uh, did a, had a radio show with ESPN for years. And, but he wrote sports and a lifestyle column that was humorous mm-hmm. and things. And it you know, kind of showed me that you can do these two things and you don't have to be pigeonholed into one thing. Uh, and that, you know, this is an avenue that you could take if you were decent at writing, which, you know, I, I guess I don't know that I'm necessarily decent at writing. I'm decent at, at recognizing this is how I talk and I'm going to write how I talk. And so that's just all I've ever really done. And so, um, you know, and that seemed to work out OK. You've done some, you know, I'm interested in, in how you've how you've seen the industry change over the the 20 years that you've been doing that doing this because the I mean w- just as long as I've been kind of politically active uh mm-hmm. there is so there's just a such a dearth of of news of coverage of of knowledge about what is going on especially in our local governments, oh yeah, um, especially at the local level, and and that's and that's one of the things that, that Adam knows you from. He was a, a Uniserve director for a while. He worked in uh, uh, he worked in the schools, and and he he really enjoyed mm-hmm. recovery of uh, coverage of the Montgomery school takeover, um, as well as some corruption in the Limestone County schools. And I think that's how he got familiar with you. Um, and mm-hmm. and so what it, what has it been like doing that kind of work, and and how has it changed, and you know. Because you're the only one reporting on some of these things, right? Yeah, it's a no. I'll tell you, it, it's been a combination, like with, with a lot of stuff. When you have an industry kind of collapse, uh, the way the way journalism has has collapsed, you know, local local news, I guess, has collapsed. Uh, you know, there are, there are often a lot of factors, and it's no different here. And you know, major player is greed. Um, greed at the corporate level. Uh, that you know, there were a lot of newspapers, man. Uh, you know that. Uh, I'll tell you how how profitable newspapers were. 
Saudi oil men were investing in newspapers in the 70s uh, because that's the level of profit that they were seeing returned on them. Mm. Uh, because I mean, And they were. They were, they were tremendously profitable. Um, uh, and so, like all of those things, uh, you start to get top-heavy. Uh, and then, you know, when, when they went public uh, and they started having investors and shareholders and large corporations started buying up local news places, um, you know, it became about the bottom line. Uh, and less so about serving the communities in which you were located. Um, and so you you end up slashing this and slashing that to make the bottom line look better for your investors. Um, in the meantime, you know, when we were at the Montgomery Advertiser, uh, you know, which was controlled by Gannett. Uh, and I'll say, you know, that Gannett gets a lot of bad press. Uh, I, they, to me, were one of the better corporate owners uh, for a long period of time. But even saying that, um, you know, we would be sitting there and, you know, they would do the layoffs. Uh, you know, they would have, you know, they would lay off the guys making the least amount of money. In the meantime, we would have 18 suits come through, you know, with a new initiative and things. And so, you know, it just was so top heavy and they were laying off people to continue to support the, the upper uh, crust salaries at the, at the corporations. And so you lost people and when they started doing buyouts of all those old guys, um, you know, it, it's I'll give you an example like um, right right now at the Montgomery Advertiser. And, and I, I don't want to pick on them because there are some great people who work there. Brian Lyman is, is a good friend of mine. Uh, and Brian is the best in the state at covering uh, courts and the legislature. He is phenomenal. Uh, and the knowledge that he has is second to none. Uh, but he's alone, you know, mm. and and so they're essentially covering city government with a bunch of people who don't know anything you know, about it. And that's not a knock on them. They just don't know, right. you know? And right. so when you eliminate these people uh, that, that are coming and you eliminate them so quickly without allowing them to at least pass on the knowledge mm. of this or show some people around, you don't know that, you know, the Montgomery school system has gone through the, this number of superintendents or that they had a, a, a scandal uh, about changing grades, you know, which I busted them on in 2012 of, of changing mm. these grades at these schools. Uh, you don't, you, you just don't, you, you lack that historical perspective and it allows people to come in uh, from the top and manipulate things, uh, mm. you know, and, and it, you saw that recently when they wanted to, to implant a new school board, because that was the whole problem with Montgomery schools. You know, it couldn't be the racism that's been there for, right. you know, 50 or 60 years. Uh, but it was the, you know, the school board. Well, I mean, there's been 30 different people on the school board right. in the time that the, you know, the school systems have struggled. Uh, and, but you, and so you like that historical kind of perspective to pass along to people in the community. Uh, and it's a shame that, you know, that, that people don't do that, but you could see it coming, uh, from what happened in sports. Um, mm. you know, you had all of these team websites in sports that popped up, you know, Auburn undercover, you know, rivals, Auburn site, the, you know, what all, all of these different, you know, Alabama had the same thing, um, you know, and a, each team did this and it's where fans of the team went to get positive coverage. You know, it's a, Oh, we're going to do positive coverage, which means we're going to sell you a bunch of sunshiny bullshit about this team and never criticize anything that happens. And you're always going to be shocked when things don't work out because you know, you didn't know that all this was happening. Right. Uh, even though you had this other guy who you think because they wrote something bad about Auburn is a bammer or because they wrote something bad about, uh, you know, Alabama is a barner, uh, you know, mm. and, and you just, but what that guy's actually doing is his damn job. And so right. that's happened in all walks now, you know, well, 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And there's, just, these sides. and there's just something to be said about like somebody having a beat and being on the beat for a long time mm-hmm. and knowing the beat and knowing the history of the beat. Yeah. I mean, it, b- me being somebody, I'm I, I, uh, I'm a rank and file worker. I'm a member of my union, and I've been a member of my union for years now. Uh, but even just just four years in the labor movement has given me significantly more understanding of of how yeah. unions operate than almost anybody in in Alabama media. And you see you see super remedial things that are just incorrect mm-hmm. that would be remedied by a labor reporter being yeah. able to do this. Yeah. You know, like like oh, saying the yeah, a- like saying the AFL CIO is a union. Like saying yeah. right to work is means that they can fire you anytime. Like mm-hmm. uh saying that the Teamsters are called that because they're coming together as a team. You know, these are things these are things that I've seen local reporters say and it's not yeah. necessarily that <clears throat> Those are are super indicting of their coverage, but it's like they don't like they literally don't know anything about people. You've got AL.com. Mm-hmm. They've got a business reporter reporting on, uh, you know, the UMWA strike and, and the yeah. uh, Amazon stuff in Bessemer. And it's like, you know, I mean, these people, they don't know anything. They don't. And, and yeah. there's just yeah. and, and you could say that about anything. Like, I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on in in even Huntsville City Schools. You know, that's something that Adam would have a like a, a really good bit of expertise. Uh the Huntsville City Council. I don't know a whole mm-hmm. lot about what's going on there. The State House is something that I'm, you know, like but there the the newspapers have been so so cut down that there's just not yeah. the people to do these beats. Oh yeah, that's a, listen, I'll give you uh, if people need to need a good example. When I arrived at the Montgomery Advertiser, there were three people, uh, all of them over 40 years old and all of them with 20 plus years of experience covering the Alabama legislature alone. There were four other people covering the local city government there. So that's seven people. There are now seven people total in the newsroom. Mm, Yeah. So that's, that's what we're talking about. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so uh, and I'm talking about on the news side. I'm sure there's some other guys sure, in sports yeah. and things like that. But on the news side, they're you know that that they're covering everything, they're covering the cops, the courts, uh, you know, uh, the whole deal. Uh, you know, I, if anybody wants to understand it better, uh, David Simon, who uh, the creator of the Wire um, and and a former Baltimore uh, reporter, um, he he testified before Congress, and this was probably 15 years ago, and this was about the decline of newspapers and what could be done, and he talked about what. Uh, the dangers were of losing these guys that were on, say, the cops beat. He's like, you know, I, I go, I go to, I go to cop bars and I hang out with cops. I mm, talk I'm to sorry. police officers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we apologize yeah. for that. That does not sound. No, I'm just funny saying, he, you know, <laughs> but no, it's you know, he said I go and and I talk to these people because you have to have and, relationships. You know, look, yeah, right. Yeah, with, with, and like with everything, you know, there are there are very very good cops, very good people that want to do a fantastic job on, on that. They understand what the job is. There are others who are misguided and don't understand what what they should be doing. There are others that are ego driven and things. And so when that eliminated a lot of these press releases that people just buy at face value when the cops put them out and tell you what's happened somewhere. And then you find out, you know, in a lawsuit a year later, Oh Mm. shit, that's not what happened. Uh, and this thing at all, you know, they completely lied about this. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what you've lost is that person that's there giving you a fair 
perspective on what's taking place and understanding what's happening there. And you don't you don't have that anymore. And it's not just in cops. It's in cops. It's in courts. It's in the legislature. Right. It's in your city government. It's in schools. It's everywhere out there. You've lost that. And, and you're right. The lack of information that gets to people now is devastating to a lot of communities. And, you know, it, it's it's really hurtful. And I hate to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, well, uh, Jacob, I was just going to give one more example on kind of how I saw it play out as a, as a labor organizer on my side of things. Uh, when I first started in Huntsville as a representative of Huntsville City Schools employees, of course, I wanted to get to know the reporters in the area. And I got to know a reporter at the Huntsville Times. Uh, we did a sit down interview within my first month on the job. And he was terminated within a month or two. <laughs> Uh, a massive round of layoffs at the Huntsville Times. They consolidated. I think that's when they went to the three days a week actually printing it. And then, you know, I'm starting from scratch. I'm having to find, okay, well, who is reporting it? Oh, we don't have an education reporter anymore. Um, or we don't really have a Huntsville City politics reporter anymore. And so then I'm, I'm working with local TV news crews. Well, and these are young people typically who are rotating in. They might do one, maybe two years tops at a station before they're off to Nashville or Kansas City or wherever they're going. And I'm having to explain what a school superintendent is versus a school board. And that, no, actually, I don't work for Huntsville City Schools. <laughs> I work for the Alabama Education Association, who represents employees in Huntsville. And, and so, like you said, Jacob, in like very elementary remedial kind of things. And Having that's to explain not, it every few months. Right. And it wasn't yeah. to insult their intelligence. They're, you know, fine people, um, but yeah. they're not experts at any of this. And in most cases, in my experience, uh, they would call me up about two hours before they needed to have something turned in. And we're mm-hmm. frantically searching for someone willing to go on camera so that they could get about 25 seconds from me that they could stick into a 90 second story within the next two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's not the same as having longstanding relationships or, as you mentioned, Josh, having that history, the institutional knowledge of, yeah. hey, yeah, this new school board president, they're saying the same shit the old one said 10 years ago. Yeah. We've been yeah, there, yeah, done that. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And, and you know, and, and this is, I, I want to say too, I, you know, I, I don't knock any, any reporter uh, because they're, they're in a horrible position. Uh, on this. Yeah. You know, they're, they're covering four different beats. They're getting calls all the time from people who are overworking the hell out of them mm-hmm. and underpaying them. You know, you get paid more for being a manager at McDonald's than you do for most of these entry level jobs into journalism yeah. now. Um, and, and it's, you know, and I'll say, uh, you know, just to say, Ashley Rimkus, uh, uh, Paul Gaddis, um, uh, you know, th- there are th- there are a number. Um, Anna Claire at, at AL.com. Yeah, they do mm-hmm. a really good job in, in, in trying to cover all of these things, you know, and, and if you look at what they're trying to cover, man, I feel so bad about, you know, yeah. kind of shitting the coverage of what they're doing because they're doing. The, I mean, you know, they're running their damn legs off trying to do right. this stuff and they're only human. Uh, you know, and, and so they're doing the best they can. It's just that what the situation that's been created is is, is so unmanageable uh, now. And, and it's just it's really a shame that we haven't figured out a good way uh, to, to kind of give people because people will read these things. People are right. interested in what's going on in, in, in these different areas of stuff. 
It's a shame we haven't figured out a delivery system that works uh, and it can be monetized to the point where we can actually pay some of these people to do, you know, these jobs that we need. Yeah. And I, you know, while we're talking about the industry part of it and and I I almost I almost hesitate to to ask you about it because I don't want to put you in a weird situation. And so feel free to, I don't, you know, I don't know that your boss is going to be listening to this, but feel free to, to not answer if you don't want to. But, <laughs> um, but you know, there uh, across the media industry, this has been happening. And, and we've been seeing with the News Guild, you know, a huge wave of unionization um, mm-hmm. across the media industry. And there has been, um, and, and these reporters and journalists and staff at these papers are seeing unionization, uh, collective bargaining coming together. Yeah. As a as a remedy to this, uh, having some amount, some more control over the budgets in their newsrooms and how pe- and how things are allocated, um, and and even some are even going further than that. At the appeal, at the appeal, for instance, which is a national criminal justice journalism nonprofit, they unionized. Uh, their funders backed out, and so the the workers there bought it, and now they're a worker owned, uh, worker run publication. Yeah. Um. Without you know, w- without people that are uh uh, you know, they're the ones making the decisions. And so how have how have people in the industry in Alabama been seeing? Because I because there's been nothing in Alabama as far as I can tell. How have they been viewing this? Uh, you know, workers coming together across the country, unionizing, taking over ownership of their publications. Um, how how have you know you and your coworkers been seeing what's been happening, and and like what have your thoughts been about it? Well, you know, I think for you know just for us, you know, personally, just first of all, you know, I you know I think we would if. if our employees wanted to unionize. I don't think, uh, you know, Bill and Susan Britt own this thing. And we're, it's not really something that would, uh, I know unionization uh, is, is a beneficial for, for a lot of places and a lot of workplaces. And, you know, I understand that uh, for us, we, we kind of operate, you know, openly, yeah, I guess. Oh, no, come it. on but, now. Come on. Don't, <laughs> don't give me, I mean, don't I, give me I'm that. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if, if there's anything that anybody would, would would necessarily would necessarily gain we don't you know we're a small we have like five employees you know mm-hmm. uh total um and so i i if they wanted to unionize I, that's fine you know we we would certainly be for that but whatever it wouldn't but i don't think it would change anything you know what mm-hmm. i mean uh it certainly wouldn't be there would be no punitive any you know uh, of any shape or form there uh but it's you know, we, we all kind of know what we got you know what i mean there's just not much mm-hmm. of it you know mm-hmm. uh so uh uh, for us, uh, but you know, listen. I I think that in the industry overall, one of the things you know, when I was at at the advertiser and with Gannett, you know, we had a number of papers throughout the Gannett family uh, that were um, unionized, and you would get these releases from the company, uh, and they would you know say, hey, this is what's going to take place. We're doing a layoff, a downsizing at at, at our papers, except for. And then there would be the list of the unionized places over here, mm. and, and in which place we're negotiating, uh, you know, with it, we're negotiating uh, with uh, with the union at those at those shops. And inevitably, when they, the negotiations were over, their deals would always be better than our deal. Uh, you know, always, always, always better, better, you know, better benefits, better vacation time. You know, all, the whole deal was always better. The layoffs weren't as severe. The cuts to mm. pay weren't as you know drastic. 
Um, and I never understood why, why why people didn't didn't understand this. And I I think it's great. Um, you know, I, the thing that that I think would save a lot of newspapers, um, while because there is uh, there is a lot of this that goes on, and uh, I, I think that it would it would drastically help a lot of the larger corporations out there, a lot of right. corporate owned uh, papers, uh, because it, it would get rid of ultimately a lot of these people at the top. Uh, you know, they are do nothing. And we all know that they were doing nothing. They weren't helping anybody. They were drawing huge salaries for walking around, coming up with the, the right. dumbest shit ever, you know, to do. This is going to be the next great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it, it's... Yeah, well, it's funny. When, when people who do the work and know how to do the work have control of the yeah. work, that things tend to work better. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, right, super right, weird right. how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's odd, right? It's odd. It's uh, it's so crazy. Uh, when you have more workers gathering more news, people enjoy your product better. That's mm. where it's crazy. I, you know. Yeah. You know. I and, and I, I don't discount the value of editors and people with, with a lot of knowledge in the business that uh, they can come along and do this. And I'll tell you this: we also do need in in most of these places uh, people that can go out and, and get advertising and get the funding things. And th- there is a skill involved in that. I, I know that because I lack that skill, and I can't, mm-hmm. so I can't go out and do it on my own. Uh, right. But um, you know, it, it, that I think that helps for the smaller for the smaller organizations, you know, like ours, like uh, a number of others around, uh, not just this state, but around the country. Um, it, it's, I, I believe that if we could work out some level, either of nonprofit, uh, you know, and, and some level of, of government support, you know, or not, not something that that's injected and it's reliant upon people that you cover, but something that's just simply there, you know, mm-hmm. that there's a pot of money that, that is just simply there. And, and you can apply for these things out of this pot of money. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think that those sorts of things would, would greatly aid the news gathering business uh, all around. And, and, you know, and, and it wouldn't be you wouldn't be beholden to anybody uh, to determine that you're going to get your hands on this money. OK, I mean, this would have to be a setup where we understand that these things are separate, that this money's here because we know the value of news gathering and how important it is uh, to our country and our, the operation of our government. But we also understand how, how important it is to keep everybody separate and, and not relying mm-hmm. upon each other. Uh, and so I think that would, would aid a lot of places, you know, and, and I, listen, you know, like I said, unionization is it's great, I think, for, for everybody because it does. It adds a voice at the table you know, for, for everybody who's doing the work out there. And, and if you all kind of understand where, where the money's coming from, how much there is and you know, what, what we're all dealing with here, then I think it creates a lot of better work environments a lot of times Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Right. Well, and, and so, uh, and, and we've talked to some some folks in, in the media who've done unionization. We talked to actually the secretary of the New Yorker union uh, is from mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. She works. She is the poetry editor for the New Yorker magazine, and she's the secretary of their union that j- formed in mm-hmm. 2018, and they just won their contract in 2020 or 2021. We had her on the program a while back, and, and um, they won a 40% raise. Uh, in their nice. first contract uh, for the for the minimum, their minimum went from forty thousand dollars to sixty thousand dollars in their first contract. Yeah. So that's pretty pretty cool stuff uh, that they've been able yeah. to do. Um, it's weird too, man, how you see a lot of these uh, 
liberal news organizations yeah, right. were really <laughs> holding on to a lot of the cash at the top, weren't they, man? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Absolutely. We, yeah. We've... Yeah, we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of that too. I mean, the SPLC is another one. You know, they yeah. uh, uh, um, they're making their uh, lower paid staff continue to come into the office, pay for their transportation. They have to live close to work, but the super executive level staff they can remote work a hundred percent of the time, and when they have to come into the office. The SPLC will pay for their plane tickets to come into the office, pay for their hotel to stay while they're in the office, uh, while they're mm-hmm. giving them all these bigger salaries, while the people who are making thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year have to pay for their transportation, have to live near work, all that, you know, I mean, but yeah. super liberal, yeah, super liberal. Yeah, super liberal. I know it's, a, it's a, you know, uh, people, people will understand one of these days that greed does not know a political party. Right, right. Uh, it it is not bound by that, and and I wish more people would would stop worrying about that and just kind of vote, vote for the, your own interest and vote for what what works for you at your house and pays your bills. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, you know, speaking of of the voting thing, I'm interested in uh, you know the Alabama the the politics side of stuff because we are now in the general mm-hmm. election. We just finished the primary election, and um, the. And I am, as a person on the left, uh, ex- extremely frustrated with the Democrats in Alabama um, because it seems to me that we are in a worse spot than they than we were in 2018 uh, as people on the left, that the party that is ostensibly supposed to represent us is in a worse spot because we mm-hmm. have now, as Roe has been overturned, an anti-abortion Democrat at the top of the ticket. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, less candidates, uh, less candidates, less candidates. At least up in North Alabama, in our neck of the woods, there's less yeah. viable candidates even on the ballot in November. And there's just us. so little out of the party. You know, I had we had Chris England on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked to him about um, the 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 anti protest bill that just came through, and and they were able to defeat that, and they did a good job. But while they were fighting it, it seemed to me that they could have also gone on the offense and beca- and and fashioned a constitutional speech bill, um, you know, yeah. mirrored after the constitutional carry bill that would limit municipalities' ability to restrict the right to protest, that would eliminate the authority that the Tuscaloosa County judge had to issue the injunction against striking mm-hmm. Alabama coal miners and put them on the defensive saying, you know, explain to us why you reckon the government ought to tell Alabama coal miners when and where and how they can protest. Explain to us why you reckon, why you hate free speech. Why do you hate free, yeah. and, and, and Chris England was like, oh yeah, you know, that sounds a good, like a good idea. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just a, I'm just yeah. a fucking guy. What do you mean? That sounds man. like a good idea. Like, and, yeah. So I don't know, like what what is going what's going on? Like what's going on? <laughs> well uh, yeah. Well all right. So, you know, I have had my frustrations as well, you know, with them. And I know a lot of these guys. And I consider a lot of them friends. And I, I'll tell you this, there are there are a lot of people, um you know, man, I'll tell you a good guess. And I don't wanna, you know, uh, you know, just uh, you know, uh, yeah, I just a suggestion. I'm just offering a suggestion. Here. Sure, I'm not sure. trying to. You're trying to tell you things. I've had to run a show or anything like that. Certainly, because uh, y'all do a great job. Uh, but Anthony Daniels would be a great guy 
uh, for y'all to talk to if you haven't. Uh, he was the House Minority Leader uh, in, in Alabama from Huntsville. Um, and probably one of the smartest political minds I know. Um, and and we had him on our podcast. That's the reason why I say this. We had him on our podcast this week, um, you know, the Alabama Politics This Week podcast. And uh, he um, he talked about his frustrations uh, with the state party and with the national party as well. And he talked about the shape uh, that Alabama finds itself in so often because it's considered a red state and unwinnable by mm-hmm. the national democratic party. Uh, and he said, you know, that's, that's true in a lot of regards. However, we run this state for a hundred and something years, you know, we were Democrat. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, obviously we all know that a lot of those Democrats were really Republicans and, you know, not, not a lot of the politics really changed, but the democratic party was in control of things. And that's still in the back of minds of a lot of old school voters in this state that they're not just anti-Democrat, you know, when they see somebody uh, on the ticket at this point. But, you know, he said what people don't seem to realize is, is when you you give up a fight in this state all the way down the state and you just toss it aside, that helps Republicans save money because right. now they don't have to spend the money in this state to win those races or to make sure that they continue to control it. Now they can just throw that on the back burner and say, well, at zero there, we're good, you know? Right. Uh, and they don't have to defend. Uh, and so, you know, and I think that's, that's a part of this, you know, another part of it is um, it, the party was so improperly run for a number of years. And, and we can argue as to whether or not it's still being improperly run. I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to people criticizing Chris England and, uh, you know, Patricia Todd and, uh, and the other folks that are, that are running this thing now, uh, because I think that there are some real questions, uh, you know, uh, yeah, about what, what's gone on at, at the top of the party over the last few years and how they've managed, how they've spent a lot of the money that's come in. Um, and I think they're very fair questions that can be asked. Um, I do think that some of what they did in this cycle, even though you don't see a lot of names at, on the ballot, and I disagree with that. I disagreed with that approach to it. Uh, I, d- I did agree with limiting primary challenges uh, you know, out there. So you, you're not going to waste a lot of time and money with, with the two Democrats fighting each other in certain races and kind of spreading them out into places mm-hmm. where you feel like they could be successful and focusing more at the county and city levels, uh, because I do think that's probably your best pathway back is if you focus on Huntsville, um, Je- uh, Birmingham, um, Montgomery and Mobile, Tuscaloosa and Auburn um, and you ca- and the counties that surround those places, if you focus on those. And, and it would be fairly easy. Now, we see it happening mm-hmm. now in Madison. You know, you know it's going to turn blue uh, in, in, in a matter of time. You know it, that's coming, that, that Huntsville and Madison County are going to be blue probably within the next five or six years. And so at that point, you're controlling a shitload of money. All right. And that's what makes the whole world go round. You know, if you, and if you doubt that in politics, that's what it's all about. It's always all about, that. you know, just yeah, the, the, the answer to all of your questions is money. Okay. Uh, if you're wondering why something happened, if you're wondering why somebody voted this way, if you're wondering why they're acting the way they're acting, it's money. It's always money. Um, and so you, if you control the county commissions and you control the city councils, 
you control where a lot of these funds go to. And by controlling where the funds go to, you control the support that you get from all of these major corporations around the state, all these major businesses around the state that are wanting those road contracts, that are wanting all the contracts for broadband and infrastructure and all of these different things. So I think that's a fairly smart way to go about this. And I think that they've done some pretty good things that you won't necessarily see. They won't be flashy, but I think that they've done some pretty good things at those level to get people in place. But overall, you don't, I think, and that was my argument with them, you know, put somebody at the top, put Stephen Reed at the top, put, put Randall Woodfin at the top. They're in no danger uh, of losing their positions. You know, Randall Woodfin was just reelected. Put him at the top of the ticket for a U.S. Senate race or for, or for, you know, governor, let them go out and build, build the, right. the black voting base up. Let them go out and, 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 you know, get people rejuvenated for, for what's going to come in the future and, mm-hmm. and, and help other people down the ticket also come mm-hmm. up. Um, and, you know, I, I think, that would have been a better idea than what they've done. And, you know, as it was, they just, you know, they're still fighting and they're still doing a lot of the stupid shit that just is, you know, hamstrung them for years. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and uh, talking about building the party, I mean, that's hopefully what we'll see in Kentucky with Charles Booker. Um, You know, unlike Amy McGrath, who just lit, millions of dollars on fire <laughs> yeah it's just it's weird Did, how that works isn't it i mean didn't do anything like no building and hopefully we'll see yeah. something different with charles booker um but uh uh yeah you know having i i, I don't know it's it's just well i mean it's bizarre for me just as the history former history teacher and me i look at where has alabama made progress and it's primarily been through working people organizing mass movements whether it's you know the populace of the late 19th century who then had the rug pulled out from underneath them by the racist 1901 constitution uh, or the civil rights movement or uh, you know even in education when you saw black and white educators coming together being able to organize and push back against governor wallace at the height of his power and so i think that's um that's where I would like to see the state Democrats really put a put an emphasis is that without a mass movement of working class people in, that, that engages the majority of non-voters, hmm. which is the hmm. largest group, right, is the non-voters, without that mass movement that is really engaging working class people, I, I don't see the electoral success is coming because they could keep doing yeah. the same things. You're going to keep getting the same results. Yeah. But as long mm-hmm. as as long as we have far right ideology that is so dominant in this state, and this is what I was going to mention earlier, we, we were talking about the media. You know, the far right has its own media apparatus, not just nationally, but here in Alabama with Yellowhammer, eighteen nineteen, mm-hmm. uh, virtually every talk radio program in the state, yeah. except for ours and you know a couple of black stations, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so they they have such a stranglehold that um, I think community organizing and labor organizing, if that's not part of the equation, I, I don't see a victory. No, it's uh, it's a hundred percent. And you know, uh, can I, can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. What the what the hell has AEA been doing? Uh, I'd love to know the answer <laughs> to that. I, I mean, you know, I haven't worked for him for two years now, so I'm not on the hook for any of that shit. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and listen, I, they, I they are catering you know? to Republicans. Uh, they yes. are giving money to Republicans. They have yes. made the calculation that a significant 
amount of their membership are now diehard Republicans, and so they dare not offend them for fear they drop their membership. And so they're doing a very delicate dance of playing defense and um, a lot, and, and you know, which that ought to, to me is a political problem. If a significant amount of my union members are now extreme right wingers, I have a problem mm-hmm. within my membership that I must address and I must educate because otherwise I'm ceding ground. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and right now the leadership is content to cede ground because the status quo is working for you know the five or six people making six figures at HQ. Yeah, I, I mean, ha, have we not seen what happened in in Kentucky? I mean, and that's that's always this is this is the largest voting block in the state of Alabama. Our teachers. This is a, a voting block of people that are co- under constant attack and constant mm-hmm. criticism from the leadership that is in government, and they are always angry. They're always angry. Those are the easiest community connections. Yes. Yes. They're the easiest people to motivate are the people who are angry over what's happening Mm -hmm. already. So all you've got to do is get somebody to motivate. And it's like, there's no attempt whatsoever to get these people organized together on these things and stop worrying about Republican and Democrat bullshit and start talking about what's going on within the school systems and what, and how people are hurting you. And instead they shy away from this all the time. Yeah, I, listen, I've, I've gone mm-hmm. to them and, t- and said, listen, hey, you know, what What could we do? What could we do to, to help, you know, to help the teachers that are out there? What do you need? Mm-hmm. I, it's like, yeah, I'm well, I mean, they're, you Honestly. know, they they see themselves as as a professional association. They don't even want to they don't even want people saying the word union, which is one of the thing that, you know, kind of kind of what got Adam in trouble with them, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're, uh, you know, I mean, they're like, uh, crypto right wingers basically uh, oh, yeah. at the AEA just... and and then but the, like I don't understand why the Democrats are not are not doing more to to reach out to like local AEA people and local unions too because in yeah. the same way that teachers are easily activated the most organized working people that you're going to have are in unions and 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 yes. are uh, you know right wingers are in our unions but. Uh, People are less right wing in unions than not, and at our local meetings, we never see Democrats at any local meetings. Democrat, like they never come unless they're coming for our endorsement and for our money. And the people that control that on the cope committees are not the whole membership. Like they should be coming to general membership meetings of the iron workers in Birmingham, in Muscle Shoals, and like meeting people. And and like there's just building relationships because I think that's. That's a shame, man. It really is. I, I mean, because you know, they, they, uh, there was a uh, a call among uh, some some Democrats, um, well, I want to say two or three years ago, and and they wanted uh, they wanted some uh, members of the media, to, you know, to to kind of listen in and talk, and you know, they just wanted some. It was just kind of an idea thing, and they asked if you know they would be. And one of the conversations was, you know, what what should we how should we push? How, you know, what what could the build back be? What what could the focus be? What could our slogan be? You know, for for building this party back. And and I said, look, I said, let me tell you, in this state, all here's your slogan, and here's your goal: working for the working man, or working for the working class, however you want to do it, uh, because it eliminates all the racial stuff, it eliminates all of the party stuff, it eliminates all of these other things. And it just boils it down to people sitting at home at night and saying, how are we going to pay this? 
You know, how are we going to, what, what can we do with this? Why are we not getting paid? Why in the hell have I not gotten a raise in six years? You know, well, you know, what, right. what's going on here? Why are these people making so much damn money and I'm still making the same? You know, what's, what is, that's what you have to focus on. And, and it's mm-hmm. your only pathway back right now. Well, and, and, and hitting the Republicans where they're not doing that. Governor Ivey yeah. literally went to Japan to try to convince Toyota Mazda to not sign a project labor agreements with local trade unions uh, and and convince them to use is non-union, right? out-of-state labor. It is right. I've talked to the trade unions no about shit? it. She wanted and, to use what? Where can I find that? Yeah, I'll I'll have to find you something you about that. But yeah, anything, she man. took a trip. Send me anything on that shit. She took a trip to Japan to convince them not to. This is what the trade unions have told me, and and Toyota Mazda did sign a PLA, and there uh-huh. is prevailing wage on that project, and there is union wages, and, and, no and they use no thanks to her. No thanks to her. But yeah, she was wanting yeah. them to not sign this, and and the byproduct of that would be lower wages, out of state workers, not Alabama workers. It's just it's crazy, and so you know the the uh, and and that and that is is a good segue to the to the thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about the the strategy of of trying to reach out to working folks, and and this is something that. You know, a lot of this uh, on political stuff, I think we definitely agree more than we disagree. But there is like tonally, I I sometimes I have difficulty re- reading your columns. <laughs> like it's just it seems like there is a lot of, you know, uh, uh, like looking down on people sometimes. And this is something and, and maybe it's just just that I, you know. Being a mm-hmm. union organizer, I have to like I have to talk to these people, and so I like just by virtue of of what I do, I have to have a different posture. But in this in this tweet like that that you had the other day, and and Adam, you can throw that up. I've got it in the in the thing, and this is one of the things that that I'm kind of talking about, where you said, "quote Roughly half the country believes we're currently in an economic recession as they pack for a ten day beach vacation that's thirty percent more expensive this year, not including the five dollar gallon gas to get there." The effectiveness of conservative media is amazing, and like I read that, and I was like, "Who is he talking about? <laughs> like who's, you know, like I don't, I do not know. I have never in my life gone on a ten day vacation, and I, I and my family is like not." Poor, you know, I grew up mm-hmm. well. I ne- I've never been on a ten day vacation in my life. A lot of my friends have never been on ten day vacations, and and this is now as 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 the Democrats, as the Democrats mm-hmm. in Washington, allowed the child tax credit to expire, and mm-hmm. now half of working families are having difficulty putting food on the table, and mm-hmm. and five dollar gallon gas is is like a real a real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, thing we've got mm-hmm. inflation at eight percent, which is not. You know, this is a global phenomenon. It's not. You know, of course, it's not because working people got some sort of relief during the pandemic. But you know, reading no. this tweet, it read to me as like out of touch. Like this guy doesn't know working people. This guy doesn't know what they're. You know, and so like, and and it plays into. It seems to me the talking points that you get on right-wing media about liberal elites and stuff like that and it seems to me that that like liberal columnists and and democratic party figures they'll they'll fall into this and and mm-hmm. so i'm interested in in how you kind of juxtapose some some of the some of the rhetoric that that it seems to me that you fall into and that other people do with your 
uh, prescription working for the working class? Like, how do you juxtapose those two things? Do you see them? Like, do you see what I'm set? Do you see what I'm talking about? That I see a juxtaposition well, I see that there. You said, uh, well, I mean, I see that you, you got one tweet uh, that was really that's really the context that you put it in. I don't I don't think is is accurate. Uh, what I was saying was is simply that there's not a recession currently. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is, yeah. I mean, five dollar gas, uh, five dollar gallon gas, and uh, some of the other issues that have taken place here are are certainly a problem. But um, check out what's taking place at our Gulf Coast for the rest mm-hmm. of the summer. Check out what's taking place at all uh, resort locations around. You know, we're, we're vacation locations around the South and and other places. Uh, right now, we are currently under one percent. Uh, available bookings at, at most of these places. Uh, people are traveling all over the place. Uh, we're, we're, I, I believe uh, uh, our travel is up this year 30%, despite all of this is taking place. Hmm. So the point was simply, we're not necessarily in a recession right now. What we have hmm. is a, a, a very good economy that was coming on the backside of a pandemic. And because of those two things crashing at the same time, we have created this inflation that ran out of control, not just because of that, but also because of a lot of corporate greed uh, mm-hmm. that have bumped up prices and oil prices being one of them. And something, uh, you know, we, we could have passed a lot of things uh, that, that could have tamped that down a lot. A matter of fact, Democrats tried to do one thing that Republicans were all voted against. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of a lot of your economic future is based upon what's the attitude toward the economy in its current shape. And if you continue to tell people that we have an economy right now that's in a recession and, oh, my God, it's, it's going to be insane, uh, then you're going to affect the way investors see the future. And you're also going to hurt things in the long term, where if you actually put things in perspective and say what we have right now, it, we got a lot of people that are still doing relatively well. We have a lot of working class people. Uh, and, and below that, poverty level people that are struggling mildly because of things that have happened. And a lot of it mm-hmm. is Democrats. And I have been very <laughs> critical of them for one, allowing the child tax credit because there was a pathway to getting it done and they didn't mm-hmm. get it done. Uh, you know, no matter what you had to give up and all this stuff, and not to mention you also got played by Joe Manchin, uh, which right. everybody saw coming except apparently Joe Biden and some Democrats. All right. right. You got played. <laughs> um, you know, and so. We still have this, though, and you look at some unbiased economists out there, and they'll tell you that the inflationary period that we're going to have is going to be relatively short-lived. And so on the backside of this thing is going to be relying upon how people feel about the economy and what we can do. And that's my point here, is what conservative media is trying to push forward on people is that, oh, my God, the sky is falling, and, and we're going to be in horrible shape for the ne- unless we get Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or some other Republican into the White House and and Republicans take over both houses of Congress. That's the point of conservative media. They don't give a shit about anything else. So they don't care about the right. working class people. They don't care about anything else. Their only point is to say this. And that was my point with that tweet is this is not the reality for for most uh, of the people right now is that we're not going to have this. Oh, my God, the sky is falling thing forever. What we're going to have is we got a, an economy that right now is on the verge of having some bad things happen. And yes, I understand that on the verge may discount some people's struggles, and that's always the case. But we're talking about the overall view of America here. And I think that right now they're on the verge, and if we push it this way, 
then it's going to be bad for a lot of people. But if we continue to say, I think we can do, we can take these steps and and work ourselves and it'll be a fine economy because I think it was headed that way with Joe Biden at the helm to begin with. And if we could have passed the Build Back Better plan and got that out of Congress, then I think a lot of things would be so much better for a lot of those people at the bottom. But they're not going to be aided by everybody saying, oh, my God, this is we got to stop investing in these things and we've got to stop doing this stuff because we're we're going to hurt them overall in the long run. Well, and the and and the Fed raising interest rates and Biden not doing anything about it. You know, I mean, when the Fed was raising interest rates under Trump, he continually railed against them and he actually got them to cut rates. And this is the same chairman for some reason. Biden was compelled. Biden felt compelled to appoint Jerome Powell back to the Federal Reserve, and now he's raising and, interest uh, rates. They're all the same, man, for, in a lot of ways, and that's why I was never really a Joe Biden guy. I mean, I like Joe Biden fine. I think he's a you know a decent human being who wants to do good things, but he's been there for so long. He's caught in the you know in the in that kind of DC trap of things uh, where you know by a person that would be much more appealing to to working class people, uh, you know like you know, myself and a lot of people listening to y'all is, you know, somebody like AOC, you know, and, and or Bernie or, you know, a lot of those people are, are a lot would affect the working class people so much better than Joe Biden has. And he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and the other thing is, is, is allowing these, these major corporations to continue to buy large chunks of real estate in, in the housing market and, you know, and force oh, people into huge. these just absurd prices on things where they can control the whole market. Now you can't, you can't continue to allow that. And and you see it happening every day right in front of you. You you've matter of fact, you've encouraged a couple of these people to continue doing this shit. And and it just because you think it looks good for the housing market numbers and, and the economy is better off. And it's just it's gonna kill people long term. And we all see it coming. Everybody sees it coming. That's what I'm saying. Listen, there are a few unbiased economists out there. Uh, that that don't worry don't worry about going on TV shows and all this kind of stuff uh, and they they just tweet out kind of what they see in the numbers every day and, and you you look at them and you follow their ideas and their projections for stuff and and it's always the same uh, you know and they they just this is it's a disaster waiting to happen for a lot of people and you can control it there are means to control this very easily at the federal level and they're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, I think on that note, that's that's where I'm just going to get back to. We we need a movement of folks to challenge corporate greed. Uh, we it, that has to go beyond simply voting. Yes, we should yeah. all go vote. We need to bring friends to vote. We need to you know vote in every election. They'll still allow us to vote in. Uh, and hell, who knows how long that'll be? Yeah. But there, you know, we we have to look back at history and see the way in which working people organized in the 50s and 60s to gain civil rights and women's rights and look at the ways in which we fought to gain the right to unionize uh, and fought sometimes literally fought with the government and i'm not Mm -hmm. i'm not condoning violence just for anyone maybe listening but kick ass right you know it's a but i mean i understand what you're saying it's it's you're you're right It, it you know the organization of of people and just i mean you look at the charts you look at the at the wages mm-hmm. you know look at wages look at you can mark them you know the decline the, the charts they flow right beside each other the decline of right. union workers and the decline of wages you know and uh and it just you you've got to understand that that's the biggest problem that i have with with government today in the way and, and a lot of this plays back into to media the way media has been 
uh, you know, has been so destroyed uh, in a lot of ways is you've lost uh, this idea of people being knowledgeable about their own situations and voting for their own interests. Um, And if people would vote for their own interest and for the interest of, uh, of people like them, then we we could solve this thing in the next election, you know. Uh, but we're not going to do it. Uh, and I, it, yeah, all the social issues, uh, you know, and and the misuse of of social media uh, has has really caused this this sort of a problem and this disconnect that people seem to have between the reality of their own lives and the people that they're voting for, uh, and, and how. Uh, it just, you know, and, and, you know, there's also tinges of racism and classism and uh, other things that, that take, you know, a precedent in these things. And it's, it's uh, unfortunate, but that's, that's how, you know, that's how we've, we've set this thing up and it seems to be working for a few people, but certainly not the majority. Right. Right. And, but the thing is we are the majority mm-hmm. and it's easy to lose sight of that, especially when we, we see depressing news day after day. When we see a state government dominated by reactionaries, it's easy to lose sight of that, that we are the majority. The majority of people do not agree with what uh, with the rightward shift of this country and, you know, the rest of this country becoming more like Alabama. Uh, That's not what popular opinion is for. And working class people are the majority of this country. I mean, bottom line, most people don't have anything but their labor to sell. And I think that's where we can we can unite. And I think it's up to Democrats to earn those votes, to go out mm-hmm. and to convince people who haven't voted in a few years why it's worth their 10 minutes, uh, if they can spare it. Or three get, hours. Or three hours. To, you know, that's that's a whole other issue. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's worth it's worth it to make that effort. And I want I'd like to see Democrats make that effort. Uh, to try to earn those votes because we can sit here and we can bitch and moan about how uh, people, you know, there's a lot of we're surrounded by a lot of bigots. We're surrounded by a lot of idiots who are brainwashed and and they're not going and voting for their own interest. And, yes, that's true. But what are we going to do about it? Where's where's our theory of change? If we do what, then what will happen? And I think that's that's the missing part that I haven't seen in state politics in Alabama, Uh, whether it's AEA whether it's the D- Alabama Democrats, uh, you know, Republicans don't need a theory of change. Right. No. They, they don't have to. They don't have to go through any of this. Um, they've got it made. Uh, but everyone else, the rest of us who have some, you know, concern about exploitation and oppression, we don't have a choice but mm-hmm. to do so. Yeah, you know, and um, up here in in North Alabama, especially, um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of people who, who view very fondly unions, you know, because they, they understand their family history and they understand a lot of them wouldn't be here without a union. Um, you know, I mean, their families would have, were on the verge of decimation. Um, uh, and so, you know, there's still a lot of good feelings about that. But the longer you wait, the mm-hmm. more you're losing those people, um, you know, and, and you hear similar the, to the you know, new the deal right to work. Yeah, I think the New Deal, mm-hmm. there are a lot of parallels. A lot of families' lives were my, changed for the better. My very right-wing mm-hmm. granny has uh, fond memories of FDR. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, she votes Republican now, but she remembers fondly FDR and the New Deal. I can't mm-hmm. get her to understand yeah. why. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, why is it? Why is it you think, Granny, that everybody in your life thought FDR was cool as shit? I wonder. Why is it you think that? Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's odd, (laughs) odd that you know he he had all these socialist programs, and you know, and that that seemed to save all of these socialist lives. Uh, And by socialist, I mean everybody. Uh, You know, just you're right, man. It's it's um, they've done the Republicans have done a phenomenal job at marketing themselves. Uh, and playing on a select number of social issues and and really hammering those things into the ground um, and and using them you know media and social media to to divide and and play defense you know I mean currently I mean just look at right now where where their their entire line is oh Joe Biden is terrible on inflation he's terrible on X he's terrible on this and to date they have not offered a single solution. Oh no! Not of even offered. They won't. Yeah. No, they don't it's, have to. It's it's we. Yeah, Joe Biden is bad. We hate teachers. We're spoiled. Mm-hmm. We let's let play. The, it's like a four second clip of. Well, yeah. no, we we don't have the clips uh, going to Zoom. But Rick Scott said just and 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 I'm sure you know that he's got this tax plan that'll raise taxes on the poorest and and oh, cut yeah, taxes. I'm gonna say that that is the only plan they've offered is the one yeah. to raise taxes on everybody working. Yeah, right. Uh, but he 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 had, he was at a speech the other day where he said Americans are the most spoiled people in the world or something. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you know. Well, people- I mean, listen, doesn't everybody have access to Medicaid fraud? I mean, come on, right. don't you? Didn't, <laughs> right. you, didn't you just yesterday right. have twenty or so million dollars worth of Medicaid fraud? Right. Thank you. Know, come on. Yeah, I'd feel pretty spoiled right about now if I was sitting on that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Josh, I, mean, I you know, appreciate you, yeah. you can be a lizard man and be successful. There you go, yeah. <laughs> million and, you, know. uh, you have anything to uh, that you're working on right now, or anything you you wanted to share with the audience? Uh you know, no, just I, we, we know we do, we do the podcast every week, uh, Alabama politics this week, myself and uh, David Person, uh, you know, and, and kind of discuss the, the weekly happenings. We're taking we normally take a little break in the summer, and so we're taking a couple of weeks off, but uh, you know, for for the time being. But we'll be back, and you know, we we try to interview, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the Democratic, uh, more progressive voices uh, that are around the state that don't you know that don't get interviews a lot of times, and. Uh, you know, last couple we had Anthony Anthony Daniels and uh, Fred Gray. I don't know if y'all have, uh, have ever spoken to Fred Gray or not, but I mean, what, my God. What about um, the voice of Alabama politics? We got Joe Marshall, and and this goes to you know some like he he's a uh, he's a former president of the Steelworkers Local at Champion Paper mm-hmm. in Cortland. Um, yeah, and you know he's he's still real uh, yellow dog kind of Democrat, and. <laughs> um, and and he's still around and and but but yeah he 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 asked in the chat uh, what happened to the voice of Alabama politics on Channel Fifty Four on Sunday morning I miss it he says well you know uh, the realities of uh, of life in the big leagues uh, you know and I think that uh, sometimes there are some people local sponsors and stuff we rely on you know local sponsorships uh, for things a lot of times and uh, and sometimes I think we had a year's worth of of, of shows uh, there. Uh, that were paid up uh, for, through that station, uh, and really that was uh, probably our most expensive station that we're on. Um, they're just the deal that we had to work out with them, and uh, and and you know, we, we're going to look at some other places to go to here. But you know the the sponsorship for that ran out, and and so we were we tried to work some things out with some different people, and uh, and we're pretty I think we're pretty close to to getting it back on somewhere in this area in this market. But we weren't on here for a long time. 
Um, you know, we, that was relatively when it came on last year, uh, that was our first time being on up here in I think four or five years. Mm. Uh, and I think that we were on initially, uh, back in, you know, back several years back, actually before I was even on the show. Um, and so, you know, now it, it went away and, uh, we, we were, we're going to try, you know, we love to be on up in this market because we think it's really important, but, uh, you know, we don't, the, the connections, it's really weird how North Alabama is a lot of times uh, in things in, in politics. There, there seems to be a real disconnect once you get above, you know, say Birmingham. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's a kind of a real disconnect with people that are interested in state politics, uh, and so, uh, and, and with that comes a real disconnect in giving you money to talk about state politics. Right. So uh, well, we, we you know, understand that. Hopefully, that's changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. Everybody does, you know. But uh, so it's just the realities of uh, you know of the economy and uh, you know and and where things are and uh, with with the economy of of uh, politics in this state. Absolutely. Well, if you ever feel like talking to uh, some uh, left-wing socialist union member in Alabama, <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> uh, we're you know we're happy to do that, and we, and we are trying to build uh, you know media that is independent, non-corporate, and uh, actually is of and by and for working-class people. And yeah. so I think it's important to have shows such as yours and shows such as ours, so that there is something out there that yeah. it goes yeah. beyond the, the mainstream need, narratives and, and sponsorships, um, you know, for yeah. better or worse. So appreciate I, that. I think so too. And I'll tell you this, man, I think that there, there are a whole lot of, of, of people out there that are running businesses and things, uh, especially small businesses now that are starting to recognize uh, that we, we need to do things a little differently. Um, and so uh, hopefully those folks will start to put some money behind, you know, what, you know they view as important and mm. um and so you know I, because it, we're not we're not going to get very far with a one-party system that's not the way we work best and so hopefully they'll you know we can we can start to build back a little something right right josh appreciate your time absolutely yeah, been, uh, yeah man thank generous. you guys appreciate, appreciate y'all yeah thank enjoyed you enjoyed it thanks all right, folks. Yeah, we've been talking to Josh Moon, investigative reporter at the Alabama Political Reporter. That's going to be it for us. We appreciate your time. We will see you next week. <laughs>